Hi, and welcome to Public Speaking with me, David Murray. I'm here to share the tools and techniques so that you can communicate with confidence in your speeches, in your pitches, job interviews, presentations, and so much more. I also offer one-to-one coaching and workshops, and you can find out more and get in touch by visiting me at davidalamurray.com. And so you don't miss out on more resources, make sure you sign up for my newsletter, there's a link in the show notes. And when you do this, you'll get access to all my top tips and free resources for communicating with confidence. This week, I'm speaking with Elaine Hopkins. Elaine is a writer, speaker and coach whose passion is helping people to live beyond their labels, to explore their full potential. She says the secret to being a good communicator and public speaker is simply to have a sense of humour and not to take ourselves too seriously. She shows us that by developing our public speaking skills, this will also help us to be more confident in situations beyond public speaking. She speaks openly about coping with dyspraxia, how negative labels can hold us back, and how she overcame her fear of public speaking. And finally, she says... We are all capable of so much more than we think we are. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. By doing this, you will help the podcast reach others who might find it useful. So without further ado, let's begin to communicate with confidence. Hey there, you're listening to the David Murray Public Speaking Podcast. To find out more, you can visit me at davidalamurray.com. Hello, welcome to the show. Today, my very special guest is a writer, a speaker and a coach whose passion is helping people to live beyond their labels to explore their full potential can I introduce you to Elaine Hopkins? Elaine, how are you? I'm great, especially after such a fulsome introduction. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show today. I'm very excited at the prospect of sharing my insights into whatever it is we're going to talk about. So Elaine, the reason why I got you down here today is because I know that you're a writer and a speaker and a coach. And I know that you've got a wealth of experience in public speaking as well. And I thought perhaps we could talk about your experience in your, your use of words as a writer and perhaps see how your work as an author and a writer connects with you as a speaker. Is that OK? I think that's an absolutely great idea because bizarrely, although I've known from an early age that I was really, really good with writing and that meant I was good with words, it never, ever occurred to me that I could also be good at public speaking, which is slightly dumb because, of course, they're related skills. Can, can we explore that for a moment, if that's okay? Can we explore how you see those two things being related? I think if you like words, if you have an affinity with them, if you like stories, if you like reading, I think that's all a great bedrock, a great starting point from which to explore public speaking. And I understand that a lot of people are terrified of public speaking because I was. I was absolutely terrified of it for most of my life and I spent most of my life running away from it. I never did any at school, I never did any at university and in corporate life 
in 35 yeah. years. I think I did it just four times. Wow. So, so you actively, actively avoided yes. sort of opportunities yes. to speak? Yes, I, I would speak. have. I never put my hand up and whenever there was an opportunity at work, I just made myself invisible. I, I was completely and utterly terrified. I, th- I think your story is going to connect with a lot of listeners because a lot of people can feel when they're uh, maybe sort of want to start venturing into the kind of speaking field, whether it just be presentations at work or even perhaps they've got a special occasion speech to deliver, that that can be quite scary for some people, can't it? Yes, it, it triggers all sorts of fears mm-hmm. and it can be very hard to overcome it. It can, and we'll probably talk a little bit as, a bit later on about the things that you did to help help you do that, and kind of your kind of real kind of motivations to overcome your. Uh, can, can we call it a fear of public speaking, or yeah. is it something something no, else? It was a real visceral fear of public speaking. I, I would have done anything yeah. to avoid it. Thank you very much, Elaine. I really appreciate you being so honest. And if I can sort of go back a little bit and perhaps ask you. Um, what is it you do now and how did you find yourself here today? I coach people, that's my big passion and essentially I coach people who are stuck with some label or other. So yeah. it could be anything, it could be terrified of heights, old, ugly, don't know what to do now, I'm retired. There are loads and loads of labels and we get them in different ways. Some of them we give to ourselves, some of them people give to us and some of them we inherit. But they stop us from being the fullest versions of ourselves. Yeah, and how did you find yourself doing that? Is that something you've always wanted to do or have some kind of uh, connection with from a personal perspective? It does have a very personal connection. I've always loved coaching ever since uh, I became a coach about 10 years ago. But the thing about labels came about because when I was four, somebody in my class, and she was at the front of the class telling everybody else, called me stupid. And that's a difficult label to have. But it was a label I took to because although I didn't know it at the time, I have dyspraxia, which is a neurological condition which means that you have problems with balance and gravity and coordination so as a kid I could never do the ordinary things that other kids could do and I didn't realize I had dyspraxia until I was 59 when my goddaughter who also has it sent me a book and I read this book and I thought oh my god this explains my life and Once I knew I had this condition, I decided to go and study neuroscience. And one day the professor said to me, whenever there's a deficit in one part of the brain, there'll be a compensating abundance in another. And that was the point at which I realised my gift with words is my compensating abundance. Oh, okay, okay. And that changed my relationship with the dyspraxia. In fact, that changed everything. That was the point at which my story went off in a different direction. Mm. But I realised just how much we allow those labels to confine our activities. So did that have an impact on your career in any way, do you feel? Or, uh, or is it something that you've always kind of felt was always there and you tried to overcome that? Or, or... Well, I very early on, in fact from the age of four, I decided that I was going to become invisible um, because I didn't want to attract attention to myself for all the wrong reasons. 
right? Because I fell over every day. So I developed these strategies for example, I would fall over and I still do it to this day. I fall over but I don't cry out. Yeah. Because I don't want anybody to know that I've fallen over. So essentially I went through corporate life being invisible. So did that impact my career prospects? Probably. On the other hand, my writing skills were always so fantastically good that I did get noticed. But I was never one for putting myself forward because I always had to be aware that I might be asked to do something that I would find difficult or impossible. You mentioned about uh, earlier on in in our introduction, talked about public speaking and this visceral fear, if you like. Did... Was, what was it that you, you happened or you said to yourself that there came a point in time you say, well, I'm going to do something about this? Was, was this part of that whole over, kind of realisation about, um, say, that your condition or a desire to kind of I don't know, overcome that, the label that, that it's in some respects have possibly held you back for such a long no, time? that actually stemmed from the fact that the first time I went on the Camino de Santiago, which, as you know, is the pilgrimage route that runs across northern Spain. I went on a cycling trip, and on the penultimate day, I had such a serious cycling accident that I nearly died. And, in fact, I would have died that day had a guy who used to be in the SAS not been cycling just behind me. And, and odd as it sounds, that actually got me over my fear of death, which was a fear I'd had since I was a teenager. And having got over that, I suddenly realised that my second biggest fear was the fear of public speaking. And usually my impulse for doing something is that I just get so fed up and frustrated with where I am. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if I can get over my fear of death, I can get over my fear of speaking. And that was why I went and joined the programme. Yeah, wow. So you had known for a while then that speaking or you wanted to overcome a fear of public speaking then. And it was was it that moment that you realised that it wasn't a mountain too big to climb? At that moment, you said you talked about the accident on the Camino de Santiago. Or were, the, or were those two connected or were they...? They were, they were very closely connected because I think when... When you've been that near to death, you see the rest of your life in a different way. And I think for the first time, I became aware of just how much energy it was taking me to keep suppressing this fear, because it does take energy. And I think having had that experience, I think I was more inclined to think, how bad can it be? I, I can... Yeah. I can step out of my comfort zone and give it a go. I think I said to myself, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, yeah. the worst that can happen is I'm not very good at it, so what? At least I won't be carting the fear around. Yeah, and uh, did you join you joined a speaking programme. Yes. And w- did you have a, a specific goal in mind? Now, apart from kind of overcoming that fear, but did you see yourself as a certain type of speaker or you wanted to use speaking as a means to, I don't know, further yourself in whether it be from a personal perspective or professional perspective? I think getting over the fear was the big driver. 
I also realised that if I wanted to have any kind of a business, then public, ski, public speaking was a skill that I needed. Yeah. That's a good, um, would you have any, any tip for people who are, have a real fear of public speaking, don't know where to start and wondering what they should do? Is there one top tip you could suggest? I think the most important thing you can do is just give it a go. And, and don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. I think that was part of my problem. I think I had this mm. fear of, oh, you know, every, every, I, I just, I kept visualising everything that could go wrong, would go wrong. Yeah. And it, it, in reality, it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good top tip for everybody, actually, is that sometimes uh, we can build up in our heads how bad we feel it's going to be but it's never really is that bad no. and actually you find that the people who are in your audience who are listening are actually very supportive aren't they yeah. yes that yeah. is that that was going to be my uh my one thing to pass on i think i used to imagine row upon row of people sitting there just waiting to judge yeah. me waiting to laugh when something went wrong and actually they're in the completely opposite place they're there willing you on wanting you to do well they're very supportive If uh, we can touch on uh, Elaine, you as the writer, is that okay? Yes. And I just maybe wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about that, please. Okay, I've always been a writer and it's something that I experience at at an identity level. That's who I am. I spent uh, 35 years in corporate life turning very complex legal and financial stuff into easy to understand words for the man on the street and uh, that's a useful thing to have done and it's enabled me to have the lifestyle I have now but now I'm writing in a much more creative way. Oh that sounds interesting, tell us a bit about that please. (laughs) Okay well I've written a uh, memoir which is essentially about uh, how I overcame my labels by writing by walking the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. So that book's coming out in March 2019. But I'm also actually currently writing a work of fiction, which has also been inspired by the Camino. For listeners who aren't connected with the Camino de Santiago, if you could just share very briefly a little bit about what that means to people, what that looks like to do. I know it's a, it's a walk in northern Spain. And kind of a little bit more about kind of your the memoirs that you're that you're preparing, you're writing. Okay, in essence, it's a pilgrimage route that's been in existence since the ninth century. There are dozens of routes across various countries in Europe. They all end up in Santiago de Compostela, which is where the tomb of Saint James is believed to be. It's a great thing to do because you're just walking day after day. You're staying in very simple dormitories at night. And it's just life stripped down to its bare essentials because you're just walking, washing your gear out, sleeping, eating and ditto repito day after day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds somewhat monotonous, but I know. <laughs> I no, know. It, the one thing it isn't is monotonous. You're never quite sure 
who you're going to be walking with because believe you me all human life is on the Camino yeah. and some of those people you're going to resonate with and others you're just going to want to zoom ahead of them yeah. um, but I, I think what makes it so interesting is that there is no status on the Camino sometimes you don't even know what people do in their yeah. other lives you are all just walking and it's absolutely fascinating yeah and you talked about walking as a means of I don't know, removing that label that was attached to you. Can you maybe sort of share a little bit more about that? Was that something you experienced through the through the Camino? When I went on my first Camino, I very deliberately set out with the intention of making peace with my dyspraxia because that had always, even though I didn't, I hadn't always known what it was, it was something that I'd always railed against. I'd always had this sense of why me? And once I'd realised it was if you like, the trade-off for my gift with words, I began to accept it. And that's one thing. But I actually wanted to see if going and walking for 34 days would change anything. Because I used to fall over whenever I went walking. So to set off on something like that for me was a very big deal. And actually in those 34 days, I only fell over once, which was a huge achievement. Does the writer in you help you in the in preparing your talks or presentations? Is it? I guess it feels like it's connected, but I wonder, you know, how much of a connection there is for you in terms of the two styles of communication. There is a huge connection for me, but I'm going to say something now which will probably shock the listeners, which is that I never write a speech down. Uh, I never have done and I don't have any intention of doing it. Sometimes I transcribe them after I'm done. But I think what people lose sight of is they are two very different modes of communication. Yes. So if you write something down and try to learn it, you are using a vocabulary and a sentence structure that is not designed to be spoken. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So whenever I transcribe anything that I've spoken yeah i'm always amazed at just how different the language and the structure is yeah and also it takes away that huge burden of being frightened that you're going to forget it because if you don't learn it you can't Mm. forget it how do you i mean it's a good good because i i must admit i i'm somebody who who will start out by kind of writing speech I kind of got two ways you know what what I will do is I'll kind of do an out very brief outline almost like a spidergram of what I want the overall picture to be but then I will when I when I write say for example I write a couple of sentences but then I have to to your point I have to say it a few times out loud yes and then the essence is the same but they sound and look very different yes they do once because you're absolutely right you have to it's almost like you have to kind of smooth the edges and yes and and sometimes a, w- a word that you can write, I, mean, I like to think my vocabulary is reasonably good, but I realise that when it comes to me as the speaker, I have to keep my words very straightforward and simple. Yes. Otherwise, I just can't get them out. That's right. So, so your technique of actually not writing down your speech, perhaps transcribing it afterwards, is actually a very good technique or top tip that people could try. But they might be scared to do that. Would you, would you feel that's possible? Yes, I understand that um, it can be very reassuring but the thing is, you're, you're never going to be... Well, if you aspire to be a great speaker, you're never going to be up there with your notes. Very true. So, so why yeah. start off 
with a prop that you're not going to have at the end. And also, I'm, I'm not saying this would work for everybody, but I'll just share it anyway. Yep. How I start is I know what the topic is. I yes. don't know how long I've got. Yes. So I just get up, I start walking around and I just start speaking. And I love the way the brain works because it doesn't work by saying, I'm doing this now, let's get on with it. You start it off in your brain and then you go and do something completely different, like the washing up or going for a walk. And while you've been doing that, your brain's been working away. So when you get up and speak it the next time, the next bit's arrived. And then you do that until you've got it. And then you put the timer on and see how far you are off in terms of how long you've got. You're right. Well, you, you can't force creativity, can no, you? No, no. <laughs> you no. can't. I think that my, my three key words here are trust the process. Trust the process. And, and I guess even if uh, so, people particularly starting out and don't know where to start, maybe that's a good way of just to start is just to pick something and just sort of just start find a quiet place perhaps where you won't be disturbed and just speak out loud yeah, yeah and see what comes yes yeah yeah it, it's I, I find it to be a very instinctive process and all that writing stuff just gets in the way yeah well considering that you're a writer that's a <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting interesting thing to say but if you're saying that as as a as a writer then I think we should all listen to it <laughs> I recall you mentioning before we went on here, there's two books you're writing at the moment, am I yes, right? Yes, that's right. So there's the memoirs, there's yes. the Camino de Santiago, and yes. then there's the fiction, am I right? Yes. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your fiction uh, book that you're writing. Yes, my fiction book is also about the Camino, but it's about uh, an American guy whose wife dies and he wants to go and walk the Camino. Uh, as a way of dealing with his grief and he runs into huge opposition from his family and that's the starting point and uh, so it's essentially the story of him trying to deal with his grief trying to deal with his family's opposition how they all react what happens now it sounds like a, it's please forgive me if it sounds like a silly question question because i've got to ask you where did you get your inspiration from and i know we're talking about the Camino de santiago but it seems to be a very specific story in there and i was wondering where 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 did you get that inspiration from uh the inspiration that the original starting point is based on someone i met and someone with whom i've done a lot of walking um, I, do, I know that was his original situation and I know that his family were upset, annoyed, baffled at his desire to walk the Camino. Yes. I don't know how it played out in any detail, so the rest of the book is my imagination. But it's, I think this is something that comes into play with public speaking as well. It's extraordinary how your brain will pick things from all over the place. Yeah. And just weave them into a story. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And when's that one due to be released? Uh, that I have no idea because I have to, but well, I don't have to. I'm choosing to give it to the person who has inspired it just to make sure they're comfortable with it. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah. that, that one yeah. will be after the March 2019 memoir. Have you, um, have you used speaking uh, to promote your coaching business and, and you as a writer? I'm, I haven't done it to promote my coaching business yet because 
I'm effectively just coming off the back of a five-year sabbatical when I've been walking various Caminos. It is my intention to do that. But I have used public speaking to get people to sign up for the free chapters of the memoir that are available on my website. And that's, that's gone very well. What would you say is important if you want to be a good communicator, a good public speaker? Is there sort of one or two things that are important? I think you have to have a sense of humour. I think you have to be able to make yeah. fun of yourself and not That's take true. yourself too seriously. I think you have to be able to be brief. And the other thing is to be flexible. I mean, I haven't been doing it that long, but I've already been thrown into situations where I've been called to speak when I wasn't on the programme. And another time, I thought I had 10 minutes and it yeah. got cut down to two minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you really have to be so familiar with your material that you can think, Very right, true. what are the two key points I, I must get I over in my two minutes? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I delivered a, a TEDx talk um, and I was either they, I had, I had the story in, in, my, in, in my mind, which I uh, delivered for the audition. But when it came to the actual live event, there was a, a great restriction on time. So I had to kind of remove content. And I think there's something important there is that not to be obviously too precious about yes. taking out content. And actually, by giving yourself the challenge to do that, actually, you, you probably argue you, you improve your speech as I, well. I think that's very true. I think the, the key thing to remember there is that the audience have no idea what you were going to say. So they're not going to miss that's true. whatever you take out. Actually, a very good top tip there is the audience don't know what you're going to say. Um, know what your key points are. Is yes. that right, yes. Elaine? Yes. And the key thing is if you're given a time limit, you've got to stick to it, haven't you? I think that's really important. I mm. went to a storytelling event the other week where there were six speakers. They knew they had 10 minutes, but not a single one of them yeah. knew how long their content was. So mm. some of them overran and some of them were way too short. So the challenge is... You know, stick to the times, be respectful of the listener and of the other speakers, and you'll get a lot of joy out of refining your content, to, which I think has a greater impact when you're willing to do that. Yes, I mean, I'm developing a signature speech and I've delivered it in 45 minutes. I've also delivered it yep. in five minutes and you need to be able to do that. If there's some people who are listening and they're thinking, well, they're not sure if public speaking's for them or, you know, presenting or pitching and then but they think well I'd like to give it a try is there um any advice for people who just think well I'd just like to give it a go and see what happens I think if you give it a go you will probably be amazed I mean there are lots of positive byproducts of it I think it undoubtedly makes you more confident in general in in other situations that actually have nothing to do with public speaking and the other thing I've realized is that we all have a story to tell. We all have something to say. And if you don't say it, then somebody who could have benefited from hearing it will never hear it. So I almost think it is an act of service to others. Yeah, thank you. And you touched on storytelling. Is storytelling important, uh, whether you're delivering a pitch at work or a presentation or you know, at a public speaking event? Is storytelling important? Storytelling is absolutely of the first essence because I believe that we're all hardwired for stories. Every single culture you can think of has always had storytelling at its heart and we've all sat through those awful presentations at work 
where there is no story, there is no soul, and they're instantly forgettable. The thing is, stories are the way of connecting with people. Yes, they they're are. They're the way of connecting with other people's emotion. And I know from my neuroscience studies that memory is only activated by two things. One is repetition and the other is emotion. Mm. So if you want to really, really connect with people, you need to tell a story. Elaine, this is great. I'm really loving everything you've got to say. And I know the listeners will get a lot of joy and a lot of value out of what you're saying today. If I can ask you, what did you get from public speaking that you did not expect? I did not expect the sheer joy. I did not expect to fall in love with it. And that was such a transition to go from that deep visceral fear to such a love of it that I would just, if somebody says to me, who wants to speak? I'll be there waving my hand saying, me me next, me next. Fantastic. So that's good for somebody who's gone from the fear of public speaking to now a sheer joy. That's that's brilliant to hear for, for everybody. Thank you. Mythbuster. Right, so Mythbuster round now. Elaine, what negative thing do people think will happen when they give speeches, give talks or presentations, but never does? Well, when I was in my visceral fear days, I used to be absolutely convinced that I was run out. I would run out of everything I needed. Breath, saliva, words. It doesn't happen. It's good to know, actually, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> and we do survive of those experiences, yes. don't we? Yeah. The worst that can happen is you'll pause or you'll say um or you'll have to admit that you've forgotten where you were going with the story and people will just melt with you because they're on your side yeah people are on your side they're very supportive they really are thank you very much elaine is there one thing that you've learned that you would share your share with yourself so something that you know now that you would share with your younger self when you started out your career, whether that be in your career or whether it be when you started out speaking, that you wish you'd known back then? Yes, it it plays very strongly to my living beyond labels message, which it's just this, that we're, we're all capable of so much more than we think we are. And that applies to public speaking. It applies to everything. We limit ourselves needlessly. Well, we're almost at the end now, Elaine, and I really appreciate your your time today. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Oh, I certainly have. It's been great. (laughs) Thank you very much. Now, I know we talked about your books, but just to remind us, you know, what is next for Elaine Hopkins? What is next is uh, more speaking, more writing, more coaching. Yes. (laughs) Oh, and you use the power of three there. Very clever public speaking (laughs) technique as well. (laughs) I like the way you ended there. Fantastic. But... Elaine, this has been absolutely brilliant today. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? The best place to go is my website, which is elainehopkinsauthor.com. And when you're there, you can find all the other places I show up on social media. Fantastic. Well, Elaine, I'm going to add those details to the show notes. Thank you so much for an absolutely brilliant and honest and open uh, interview today. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you very much for your time hope you've enjoyed it I certainly have thank you Lane thank you everybody for listening speak to you next week if you'd like to find out more you can visit me at davidalamari.com